KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Title 42 ends in May. In a way, Title 42 kind of incentivized illegal entry because it closed the door on the only legal pathway available. I'm Jade Hindman, and this is KPBS Midday Edition. The COVID-19 pandemic made it clear that people who are not computer literate are at a big disadvantage and can become very isolated. The good news is seniors are smart people. With the right support and the right rhythm to the learning, they will be lifelong technology users. And on our weekend preview, visual art, R&B and soul music, plus art inspired by classic literature. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. The White House announced today that it will end a controversial border policy that allows the swift expulsion of migrants at the border. Title 42 allows border officials to use the pandemic as justification for turning away asylum seekers without a hearing before an immigration judge. Joining me now with more on this news is KPBS investigative border reporter Gustavo Solis. Gustavo, welcome back to the program. Hello, and thank you for having me. Can you remind us about the scope of this policy, where it came from, and what its intention was when it was enacted? Title 42 began when the pandemic started, around April of 2020, and the stated purpose was a, a CDC-issued public health order to prevent the spread of, of COVID into the country by restricting who can cross the border. Since then, that kind of pretext of public health has kind of been exposed as, as a facade, right? This has mostly been about border enforcement. And we know that through reporting and even how people who created the policy have reacted to news that it will be rescinded in the coming month. So what will happen beginning in May when Title 42 is no longer in effect? Well, I think we'll have a similar situation to how things were like before the pandemic, right? We got to keep in mind that Title 42 has just been in place two years. So we have a long history of what asylum looks like before Title 42. But it is worth noting that the Biden administration recently issued new processes for asylum aiming to streamline the process. So after Title 42 is lifted, we will see how those new uh, streamlined processes work. And what's been the reaction from activists who have been calling for the cancellation of this policy? Generally speaking, it's been positive, but there's also a sense of too little, too late, right? The damage has been done for a lot of families who have been turned away and were victims of crime after they were turned away. There's also a bit of frustration that, you know, while it was announced today, it won't go into effect until May 23rd. And I spoke with uh, Ginger Klein, who's a staff attorney with Al Otro Lado based in Tijuana, and this is what she had to say. It's long overdue. I'm definitely glad that Title 42 will be ending, but this should have happened a very long time ago. Um, Title 42 has had devastating effects on migrant families across the U.S.-Mexico border who have been forced to remain in dangerous conditions for far too long. You know, has there been any negative reaction from this decision so far? 
there has been negative reaction from both the left and the right. I mean, on, on the left, like I said, it, it, it's kind of too little too late. It should have been done a while ago. And now there's this kind of grace period where it will still continue to happen until May 23rd. From the right, there has been criticism leading up to it ending, mostly on border enforcement side of things, not on public health side of things, which really tells you what this policy is about in the first place, right? The criticism from conservative circles has been that this will spur migration and it will, you know, quote unquote, up, open the borders and make it easier for, for illegal immigration to happen, which it should be noted. I, I don't see them as valid concerns based on reporting and just the, the conditions, right? That's the point I want to make about the rhetoric. Seeking asylum at the southern border is legal, right? That is a legal way to come into the process. So to categorize that as illegal is just wrong. People have the right to do that. For many of them, it's their only way of getting in the U.S. And to be clear, just because someone requests asylum, it doesn't mean that they'll get it. Most claims are actually denied, but they at least get that chance to do it legally. If anything, ending Title 42 may decrease illegal immigration between the ports of entry because data shows that asylum seekers who were repeatedly turned away by Title 42 were so desperate to cross that they just went through deserts and mountains. And that was an uptick in illegal crossing between the ports. So in a way, Title 42 kind of incentivized illegal entry because it closed the door on the only legal pathway available to these asylum seekers. What led up to the Biden administration ultimately doing away with this policy? That's difficult to say, just because, like I said, right, it's technically the CDC did away with it and they issued a memo. But we know that it's, it's also a political decision. And that political decision, what goes into making and evaluating those factors, they're not really made public. We don't know what internal conversations are happening. But from the outside, as someone who's been reporting on this, there is a growing chorus of criticisms around this policy coming from the president's own party. And also just based on his campaign, right, Biden-Harris ran on this campaign promise to make the immigration system more humane. And you can't simultaneously make the asylum system more humane and keep Title 42 in place. It, it just doesn't work. You can't really have both of them going at the same time. What's expected to happen in terms of the number of immigrants entering the U.S. once Title 42 has been repealed? It's difficult to say. I mean, there's been a lot of reporting. Mostly the source of that reporting is DHS officials saying that they anticipate a spike in migration. I don't know if we can say that definitively. I mean, there's already a lot of people at the border. There's already a lot of asylum seekers at the border who for two years have been waiting. So I, I don't see it as a surge. I see it more of like as a backlog, right? You have thousands of people who have just been waiting. They'll finally be able to, to get a chance to pursue their claims. Whether it will increase migration or not is kind of speculative at this point. I will say for asylum seekers, their motivating factors to leaving isn't U.S. bureaucracy, right? It's their fear for their lives because they are directly threatened because of their political beliefs or ethnic identity or gender identity or or whatever factors. They're afraid to live in their home and they're making the difficult decision to pack up everything with their families and seek refuge in the U.S. That is the motivating factor. And that doesn't change whether Title 42 is here or not. And that is the main driving factor for asylum seekers. I suppose there could be a a case where where people hear like, hey, Title 42 is gone, you might have a a fair shot at it now. And that maybe would be a a factor in the decision. But it's not, I don't think, based on the interviews I've done with people over the years, the driving factor. I've been speaking with KPBS investigative border reporter Gustavo Solis. Gustavo, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, 
Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The American digital divide is nothing new, but the COVID pandemic shined a bright new light on the gap between those who could use the Internet and those who couldn't. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge tells of the effort to get seniors and other people digitally connected to protect their health and reduce their isolation. Tish Fleming lives in San Diego's Gaslamp District, and she remembers the beginning of the pandemic when everything seemed to be closing down, and the only companions people had were the ones they lived with, if there was anyone at all. I couldn't see my family, my granddaughter. You know, everybody was separated, and it was very, very difficult for me um, not to be able to be with them, not to be able to go to church. Fleming, who's 78 years old, says that social isolation ultimately forced her to learn to go online. The health risk of the pandemic may have been the greatest concern for isolated seniors. They were among the people most likely to suffer hospitalization or death as a result of a COVID infection. In fact, many of them didn't know how to get the things they needed as retail stores and other services shut down. And then the pandemic was just dragging on and on and on. And it became very, very difficult to accomplish the basic daily tasks. Get your medication refilled. Simona Valenciute is president of San Diego Oasis, which helps seniors stay engaged in healthy activities. Seniors are often, you know, not so technology-oriented. They like to come in and say, I would like to make an appointment. They love to come in and make a joke and talk about the weather with their banker. With the pandemic, San Diego Oasis created online versions of their classes and programs. The next steps were to get the clients computer tablets and teach them how to use them. They got grant funding to purchase new tablets, and they were careful to get ones that were very user-friendly. So that, you know, you give this tablet to a person who's never had internet or a smartphone. There's now 200 icons on it. So we cleared it out, we made it very simple, and we dedicated one full-time staff member to do nothing but deliver these tablets and do one-on-one training. The situation was similar for San Diego County officials who were responsible for reaching people who needed COVID-19 tests and later vaccinations. Nick Maschione, director of the San Diego County Health and Human Services Agency, said the lack of computer skills and access for some people was a primary concern. In terms of our COVID response, um, there were two groups when we started. And... um, We were looking at initially those that had the ability with technology and how to use that, and then the other groups that did not. The state and the county provided information about COVID testing and vaccination online, but the pandemic required additional efforts to reach people who weren't digitally connected. The key thing was connecting with people where they're at, where they were living. So literally the old-fashioned knocking on doors or going to markets or going to different civic organizations or places of worship. Like Oasis, San Diego County took steps to try to connect people to the Internet. It created how-to videos to teach seniors how to order groceries online or set up a Facebook account. 
Today, Mashion thinks San Diego has a much more sophisticated elderly population when it comes to technology. Fallon Chute agreed and added that today's social realities demand that elderly people work to join the online world. Human to human connection is sort of diminishing over time. But again, the good news is seniors are smart people. With the right support and the right rhythm to the learning, they will be lifelong technology users. One of those seniors who has had to learn to use a computer tablet provided by San Diego Oasis is Bernadette Kubaki. She says using the internet has opened up her world. I started taking uh, art classes. The teacher's talking about some part of a painting and I'm able to spread it out and take a look at it. Still, life with a computer only gets you so far. I wouldn't be someone who'd be sitting in front of it all day. There's a lot of other things to do in life. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In our weekend arts preview, we have a couple of works pairing performance and visual art, some R&B and soul music, art inspired by classic literature, and more. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So first, we have a local contemporary dance company that's paired up with the San Diego Museum of Art. Tell us about this. Right. So this is Disco Riot, who they do a lot of collaborative movement-based art, and it's often that they pair the choreography with an interdisciplinary art form like this one, where they're being inspired by a work of art at the San Diego Museum of Art. They're going to be reflecting on Colleen Smith's 2020 video work called Floricanta, which is itself a work inspired by another piece. It's an early 1600s masterpiece, also in the museum's collection. It's Juan Sanchez Cotan's Still Life with Quince, Cabbage, Melon, and Cucumber. It's one of those hyper-realistic food still lifes. Um, He had foods hanging from strings in the scene. And I interviewed Colleen Smith a few years ago, and she was inspired by the way that realness kind of melts away and it dissolves the more you look at it. The shelves are angled in a way that's actually impossible. And each food item has a totally different shadow as if each had its own light source. And Disco Riot will perform today in the museum's atrium with two short performances, just seven minutes. There's one at 3.30 and another at 4. And it is free with museum admission, which is always free for youth 17 and under or for members. And the Colleen Smith video and that Juan Sanchez Cotan painting, those are still on view at the museum as well. 
And sticking with the theme of crossover art and performance events, the Grammy-winning Silk Road Ensemble is coming to the Conrad in La Jolla in collaboration with a visual artist. What can we expect there? Yeah, the Silk Road Ensemble was originally founded in the late 90s by Yo-Yo Ma, though he is not part of this production. And the ensemble brings together musicians and performers from all around the world. And in this case, it's a collaboration of Syrian-Armenian visual artist Kevark Murad and with Syrian composer and clarinet player Kenan Azme. And they have a small ensemble of other musicians performing as well. But Murad will use live projections for his illustrations. He works on stage alongside the musicians. And the works explore Syria's recent history and the strife and what home means for refugees or people living in war-torn places surrounded by loss. You can actually watch a previous performance of this collaboration um, from the Kennedy Center. That's on YouTube, and it's really powerful, especially right now as the world faces even more conflict. Silk Road Ensemble performs Home Within live on Sunday at the Conrad in La Jolla at 7 p.m. It's the fifth anniversary of Courtyard, the East Village event space and venue, and all of this month, They're hosting special shows and events to celebrate uh, starting on Saturday. So who's playing? Right. The Sacred Souls, who are the latest local success story, they're playing with Devlov and Khalil Nash. And this is an outdoor show at Courtyard. And it's an early show also starting at 4, which is kind of nice for those of us who forgot how to stay out late during the last few years. And The Sacred Souls, they are fresh off of a national tour supporting St. Paul and the Broken Bones. And they're going to head out again supporting Belle and Sebastian in tennis later this summer. I'm also pretty excited to see Khalil Nash, who may not be on as many people's radar, but he did win a San Diego Music Award in 2021 for his EP Transcendence, which is brilliant. And this is When We Were Young. What happened to us? That's Khalil Nash performing with Dev Love and The Sacred Souls on Saturday at Courtyard. In visual art, local James E. Watts is set to open a new solo exhibition at Oceanside Museum of Art on Saturday. Tell us about his work. Right. This exhibition, it's called James E. Watts Storyteller, which is a perfect title for his work. He is a San Diego-based sculptor, and he makes these really character-driven works. They're often inspired by characters from classical literature. Some of these are figurative works, and some of them are flat works, but they're all still really sculptural. He uses a lot of reclaimed wood and tin and collage elements, a ton of intricate details. One of my favorites is a two-figure sculpture based on Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And one of the things people talk about when they talk about James Watts is his studio. Uh, It's called the James Watts Institute for Artistic Behavior. And it's a street level studio downtown where you can peek in and you can see so much of his work in progress and on display. And this exhibition will be on view at Oceanside Museum of Art beginning Saturday through mid-July. And one more visual art recommendation from you. This one is a major group show across two galleries. Tell us about Bounteous. 
Yeah, so both of Quint's La Jolla galleries are currently full of work by Quint artists. There is sculpture, photography, drawing, and painting, and it all represents this really impressive swath of time in contemporary art, including stuff from the California Light and Space Movement. Um, You can also watch for the really whimsical Tom Driscoll installation. There's embroidered collage from Griselda Rosas, a really mesmerizing Christopher Puzio sculpture, and then a pretty recent acrylic monolith by Robert Irwin. There's also work from other Quint artists like Jean Lowe, Ryan McGinnis, Kelsey Brooks, and plenty more. There's 20 artists in total. Both galleries are open Tuesday through Saturday from 11 to 5. And they're almost right across the street from each other on Girard in La Jolla, so you can hit them both up in one trip. Fantastic. And of course, you can find details on these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS Arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS Arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.